When life gives you lemons, how exactly do you make lemonade? Well, how about with a little secret ingredient called resilience? This is the ability to adapt and bounce back after adversity. Welcome back to Savvy Psychologist. I'm your host, Dr. Jade Wu. Every week, I'll help you meet life's challenges with evidence-based research, a sympathetic ear, and zero judgment. Today, we dig into resilience as a skill that you can actually learn. But before we get to resilience, I'm excited to tease a little bonus segment for today and for the next few weeks. At the end of these next few episodes, we'll have a short Q&A with Dr. Chloe Carmichael, author of the new book, Nervous Energy, Harness the Power of Your Anxiety. If you identify as a high achiever who's always striving for perfection and you struggle with the anxiety that comes along with it, stick around. You won't want to miss Dr. Carmichael's explanations about nervous energy and whether we can harness it for success. Destiny's Child told us what it's like to be a survivor. Taylor Swift knows how to shake it off. And Elton John is still standing. What's the common thread? A little thing glinting in the eye of the tiger called resilience. Resilience is the ability to adapt and bounce back after experiencing stress and adversity, like bamboo canes that bend in the wind but don't break. Think of a small mom-and-pop bookstore that's close to bankruptcy because, well, Amazon has become such a giant competitor. The owners might show resilience by shifting their marketing strategy and finding a creative way to build a loyal local following. Or think of a child falling off her bicycle and scraping her knee. She might show resilience by getting back on that bike the next day and practicing again. Both the bookstore owners and the child were resilient because they were able to learn, change, and move forward, ultimately growing and thriving even when they ran into obstacles. Notice that resilience didn't just befall them. There was no fairy godmother that came to rescue them. Instead, their resilience came from within. Now, that's not to say that resilience is all up to you. You may be dealing with many obstacles that are out of your control. So no matter how much grit and motivation you have inside, you're still held back. This is why critics of the resilience concept are worried. By advocating resilience, are we implying that all setbacks are the individual person's fault and everyone should be left to fend for themselves? In reality, many people carry the weight of systemic barriers like racism, sexism, economic inequality, other injustices, and individual resilience is not the answer to these problems. At the same time, we don't need to throw the resilience baby out with the bathwater. While we fight for equity and justice, we can at the same time also cultivate our own resilience, which is not an empty idea. We can still learn to be resilient by responding to adversity in psychologically healthy ways. In other words, when life gives us lemons, we can still practice making lemonade. And practice is the key word here. Resilience is a skill, not a you-have-it-or-you-don't trait. This is really good news because it means you can have some control over how resilient you are and you can actually work on it. So, here are seven ways to be a psychological bamboo cane that bends but does not break. Tip number one is to give yourself permission to feel lousy. You heard that right. We've all heard the cheerful encouragement of, 
just keep on keeping on, or hey, when one door closes, another one opens. But this rah-rah motivational slogan can often feel useless and sometimes even tone deaf. True resilience doesn't mean you never feel defeated or get discouraged. In fact, pain is almost universal among the resilient. After all, if you never encounter painful struggles, you never get to discover your resilience. So resilience isn't about hiding your pain and pretending everything is peachy, nor is it keeping a stiff upper lip. You're human, not a machine, and getting knocked down does hurt. Acknowledging this makes you authentic to yourself, which makes it easier to get back up again. And getting up? Well, that's true resilience. Tip number two, though, is don't keep watering weeds. Once you've given yourself time and honesty to acknowledge the painful feelings, start taking steps toward getting back to life. That might mean doubling down on studying for the next exam, making a new training plan for the next competition, or committing to meaningful self-care for the next, say, month. Don't brush your disappointment, loss, or pain under the rug as if your setback never happened. Just don't water those emotional weeds over and over again either. You don't have anything to gain from replaying that dropped ball on repeat in your mind or going through all the reasons to blame yourself for losing your job. Once you've gleaned what lessons you can from a failure, ruminating is not going to help. So take a deep breath and ask yourself, what next? Now, it's all fine and good to get up and move forward, you might say, but which way do I go? And that's where tip number three comes in. If you don't know what to do, look to your values. That means look to your moral compass. Studies show that having an internal system of values and ethics goes hand in hand with resilience. This makes sense. If you believe in our common humanity and the importance of having a purpose, you have a bigger force to help you bounce back. This bigger picture thinking also helps to put things in perspective. Yes, losing your job is a huge deal. And in the aftermath of this devastation, believing in your greater purpose reminds you that, you know, it's not the end of your meaningful contribution to society and certainly not the end of your story. So even if it doesn't feel like your values have anything to do with your pain right now, turn to them anyway. Do you believe in justice or beauty, compassion, curiosity, creativity, helping, family, discovery, love? Ask yourself, what is my guiding North Star? And by the way, there are no wrong answers here. And what can I do today to move towards that star? So while you're charging forward towards your values, remember to stop and rest. Dealing with setbacks can be physically and emotionally exhausting. It's important to not just push, 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 push your way back, but also to recharge along the way. Now, how do you do this? You have my full permission to recharge in any way you wish. On the couch with a pint of Ben and & Jerry's and a Bridgerton marathon? Go for it! But also consider getting some exercise in between episodes. Do a few jumping jacks or a few sun salutations. This is not only immediately good for your mood and for your body, but also sets the scene for your greater comeback. Because in a way, exercise is kind of a great metaphor for overcoming life's larger challenges. 
We set short-term goals, we build momentum, we create our own motivation, and we're getting ourselves off our butts. This is resilience in action. And while we're at it, don't forget to sleep too. There's no greater balm for life's hurts, according to Shakespeare, than sleep. And I wholeheartedly agree. Whatever challenge or setback you're recovering from, it's much easier to do it when you've gotten good quality sleep. This means prioritizing winding down in the evening, protecting your sleep space from intrusions, and getting up at the same time every morning so your internal clock stays strong. Now the next tip, tip number five, is to set bite-sized, realistic goals. You may want to get rich, get famous, and look fabulous doing it right now. But part of resilience involves not setting ourselves up for failure. A study in Hawaii, which I'll talk about more in a bit, is really cool, showed that one of the characteristics of resilient adults is that they set realistic educational and career goals for themselves. If the goals you set are too many and too lofty, you'll have a lower chance of seeing success when you need it most. And then you're likely to chalk that lack of success up to personal failure. That's demoralizing and it can discourage you from pushing forward. So keep the scale of your goals reasonable. Challenge yourself, of course, but also be fair. When you chunk your bigger ambitions into smaller, actionable goals, you get to celebrate milestones and successes way more often. And who doesn't like that? And speaking of celebrating, remember to keep your social supports in the picture while you're recovering from setbacks and developing your own resilience. And that's tip number six. Tell your friends how you're feeling. It's cliche, but it works. According to a study of nurses, working in a life and death environment, two things are associated with less burnout. The first is drawing on support from friends and colleagues, and the second is to genuinely express emotions, from sorrow to frustration to joy. The nurses who sought support and expressed their feelings were way better able to muster the resilience to continue the tough emotional work that their job required. So build relationships with people you trust and tell them how you feel. Be honest and authentic rather than trying to put on a everything's fine face. You'll come out the other side better able to keep calm and carry on. And last but not least, tip number seven. Trust that you control your fate, not the other way around. So here's that really cool study I was alluding to. In 1955, the psychologist Dr. Emmy Werner and her colleagues began to follow every child, almost 700 of them, born that year on the Hawaiian island of Kauai. It marked the beginning of a study that would last more than 40 years. Kauai in the 1950s was not a privileged place. Many of the kids were raised in poverty, had unstable, chaotic families, and had mothers who never went to high school. But despite all this, by the time they reached age 40, one-third of the group was, as the study said, competent, confident, and caring. They defied the odds. None of that one-third was unemployed, had been in trouble with the law, or relied on social services. Their accomplishments equaled or surpassed many of the kids who grew up in more stable environments. The researchers really itched to know, how did they beat the odds? What was the secret ingredient in such resilience? Again, it's complicated. 
Some of it was luck. Some of it was having at least one emotionally stable and loving family member to look out for them. And some of it was finding an emotional home in civic organization, at school, or at church. But the most important thing in these resilient kids was something called an internal locus of control. These kids believed that they, not their circumstances, were in the driver's seat of their life. They believed they could control their life as opposed to being controlled by whatever life dished out. For example, the researchers noted that resilient kids with a dysfunctional family were good at recruiting surrogate parents, whether a youth minister, a trusted teacher, or even a friend's parent. How can you apply this to you? Well, in short, act. Do. Take decisive action. It's tempting to put the future in the hands of fate, and I won't lie, a lot of the future is unpredictable and uncontrollable. But take control over what you can, which is your actions and your attitude. When life does chew you up, remember that it's only in the middle of an obstacle that you can hone your resilience. After all, Katy Perry brushed off the dust and let us hear her roar. And you can, too. And now for that quick bonus Q&A with Dr. Chloe Carmichael, author of the new book, Nervous Energy. I asked Dr. Carmichael, what is nervous energy exactly? Is it a good thing or bad thing? Nervous energy is actually a great thing. It's a gift from Mother Nature if we know how to use it. So when we start to get a little bit anxious, which happens to everybody, it's totally normal and even a a healthy thing. What happens is we get a little boost of extra energy and our focus increases a little bit. So if we know how to use this to do something constructive around whatever the source of the stress or the anxiety was, then it actually really starts to work for us as a protective behavior. The thing I noticed in my practice in New York was that I was working with all these, you know, really successful people and they all seem to, you know, have anxiety. And I thought, well, what is this that's in some way potentially kind of helpful to these people, but yet it's gone a little bit haywire in their lives. So I found a lot of my work was helping them to understand and tame their nervous energy. Thank you, Dr. Chloe. Nervous Energy is out now and available wherever books are sold. And next week, tune in at the end of my episode for another bonus segment from Dr. Carmichael about whether pushing yourself and being your own worst critic actually works. Thank you so much for listening. Let's continue the conversation on social media. I would love to hear about how you've been resilient in your life. You can find me on Facebook and Twitter. I'm at QDT Savvy Psych and also at Jade Wu PhD. We can also keep in touch through the Savvy Psychologist newsletter. Savvy Psychologist is audio engineered by Steve Rickyberg and edited by Karen Hertzberg. As always, Savvy Psychologist is strictly for informational purposes and doesn't substitute for mental health care from a licensed professional. Thank you for joining me, and I'll see you next week for a happier, healthier mind.